Hello, folks. I'd like to welcome you to this next segment of the Denny Artachi Show. We've been enjoying the podcast. And, you know, today I have a very special guest. I always enjoy when this guy speaks, I listen. <laughs> so uh, who we have today is uh, Paul Meeks. Paul is a 32-year analyst and portfolio manager. Uh, he's best known for technology stocks. In fact, at one time, he had the largest technology fund in the world. And this was back in his days when he was with Merrill Lynch Investment Managers, which was then acquired by BlackRock. But Paul is also an academic. He has great taste in music. He loves rock and roll. He, uh, since 2021, he's been the professor of practice in the accounting and financing department in the Baker School of Business at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Man, that, that's a mouthful, Paul. Um, he's been an adjunct faculty at the Citadel, the College of Charleston, or Western Washington, since 2005. So Paul teaches accounting, corporate finance, personal finance, investments. He also supervises Student Management Investment Fund. He lives and works in Charleston, South Carolina, which I bet you have a couple of good golf courses there, Paul. Um, he's originally from Western Roots. Uh, his roots are in Western New York. And Paul joined Independent Solutions back in 2018. He's great with my clients. He, he's so, you know, the thing about Paul, he, he has a, a good dial on to what's happening in the market. He's, he's featured on CNBC since the 90s pretty much every week. And even though he's known for technology, Paul has a, a dividend model where he picks companies and, and equities that are typically with a 5% appreciation potential that are already yielding 3%. And why is that important? Well, for those of you who cannot stomach the ebbs and flows of the market, these are some of the other things that he has available through Independent Solutions. So it's always a pleasure, like I said, since the 90s and the bubbles, Paul has been uh, featured on CNBC often. And uh, Paul, are you there, sir? I sure am. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. So, Paul, I think you told me just recently that uh, you've been kind of staying on the sidelines a little bit because ever since Thanksgiving, the market's kind of not been so hot. Is that still uh, your take on it? Yeah. As you mentioned in the uh, intro, I manage tech money. That's uh, what I'm best known for. But I also uh, have learned over the years to have a plan B, so I run dividend portfolios. So particularly in my tech portfolios, I got a little queasy as we got into the very end of uh, 2021. And frankly, I was worried uh, more about Omicron than uh, needed to be as we get into 2022. But what's happening is there's really been a meltdown in uh, tech and other aggressive uh, growth stocks uh, really ever since uh, Thanksgiving last because inflation and interest rates are clearly on the rise and that dings the valuations of uh, these types of stocks the most. And so I'm sitting on a pretty large cash cushion right now waiting to buy some of my tech favorites a little bit lower because unfortunately I think they may go at least a little bit lower. Now, you're you're still you're kind of waiting for the earnings report which is due out what another week and a half, two weeks? Yeah, so I'm waiting for two things. I'd like to see some sort of uh, short-term plateau in interest rates, 
right? I don't need them to uh, rise to any specific level. I just need them to plateau and actually stop rising, at least in the short term. So that's one catalyst. And then, Denny, the other catalyst that you mentioned is spot on. We're right in the middle now of quarterly earnings reports for companies that uh, had quarters ended December 31. And I would say that we probably have two to uh, three more weeks left of this whole, I call it a, a confessional. Because <laughs> sometimes companies, when they uh, announce these quarterly earnings, they really disappoint by something bad that they say. And unfortunately, um, a lot of companies are saying some nasty things. And I don't want to be the guy that steps into a Netflix or a Facebook the day before they announce earnings and the stock uh, goes down 20 to 25% the next day, which happened in those both those situations. So I feel better about um, separating the wheat from the chaff in about two to three weeks when my final follow-up company has finally reported its results. Now, for those who are maybe aggressive or the speculative side, they're probably going to try and guess what the earnings are, but that's not really what you do, right? <laughs> Well, I usually, because I've covered these companies for so long, have a pretty good sense. Mm -hmm. But right now we're in a really squirrely period, uh, which takes, unfortunately, my experience out of it. Some of it is micro, you know, microeconomic stuff, which means it's happening at a company level. And some of it's macro, you know, macroeconomics, big picture stuff. And unfortunately, uh, that's what I'm struggling with the most. And so... I don't really have any control of that because if you're a good analyst, you can't do much about the macro. It just happens to you. You can only um, uh, focus on the micro, the company specific. But right now, frankly, um, the big picture stuff prevails and it's just got me uh, too scared to play. Now, it's interesting. You mentioned rate hikes. I think a lot of people are guessing that we're going to have three to four rate hikes this year. Do you, do you think you think that's possible? Well, I think it's actually more than that. Uh, if you take a look at uh, the Fed funds futures, you know, the Fed is the uh, Federal Reserve Board, the central bank. Mm -hmm. uh, we're probably, uh, if you are bearish and aggressive, and I know some of the strategists on the Wall Street uh, feel this way, um, some firms have penciled in seven to eight. And so they'll definitely start raising uh, rates at their next meeting, which is in the middle of March. And, uh, yeah, I think they'll probably raise the Fed funds rate a quarter percentage point uh, each meeting. And these meetings happen about every six weeks or so, um, boy, for at least several meetings and maybe pretty deep into the year. So I expect it to be uh, more aggressive as far as the level that interest rates increase and how many times they do it. Uh, and that's why I've been kind of waiting in the weeds to get a clearer picture. But the next meeting is the middle of February, and they definitely, well, I say definitely, that's my opinion, uh, will be raising rates for the first time then in really long time, many years. Now, some may say that a lot of analysts have already factored that into the market, and they've already put that in their evaluations. But, I mean, honestly, if if we do have some rate hikes, shouldn't that affect, you know, equities in the stock market? Yeah, and it already has. And the you know, worry about such has essentially um, knocked stocks down, uh, particularly the aggressive growth names and the tech names ever since Thanksgiving. And so, yes, as soon as people get queasy, they start to sell off. And uh, you could say that the bad news 
is already in the stocks at this point because, you know, it's no surprise. But I want to wait a little bit longer, at least a little bit longer, because um, I want to have at least a little bit more info about inflation and rates before I uh, swoop in just to make sure that uh, I'm not getting in a little bit early because it's just really um, confusing and, frankly, a little scary right now. I would say so because, look, if the cost of goods are going up, and they have been, I, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that we're at a 6% inflation rate when used cars are 30% and real estate is 30% and lumber has gone up, gas has gone up, groceries have gone up. That has got to affect the bottom line on these companies trying to make a profit, which, of course, will mean that they'll have to raise the prices for their goods, which, of course, will mean that consumers may be spending less. Isn't that a reality? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely a reality. And it, you have to look at each company and each industry because um, some companies have, quote unquote, pricing power where their product is in such great demand that uh, they can raise prices to pass along increased costs and the consumer keeps buying. But there's other products where, you know, there are substitutes where you're absolutely right. And uh, people will say, whoa, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> and all these companies are announcing in these quarterly results, and I'm listening to the last couple of weeks, that they're really being dinged on being forced to pay higher wages for employees. And also, if they're you know buying uh, goods on a wholesale level, um, that you know, their costs are going up. Like Unilever, which is you know well-known bunch of brands like uh, Dove Soap, for example. Mm-hmm. And then they talked about, and they just announced results a couple of days ago. They talked about extraordinary increases in their uh, cost of goods. And so, yeah, um, you know, it's funny. Not that I, not that I frequent it, but even. Fast food restaurants like McDonald's and other ones, they're going to do away with the dollar menus because their their profits have been, you know, everything has been forced higher with this inflation problem. Now, yeah. here's, here's the interesting thing. Be, besides inflation, they're no longer going to do stimulus. So people are going to have less money to throw around. I never understood how it's good for the economy when when consumers spend frivolously and raise up debt. But it's looking like if inflation continues and the prices keep going high, that people are just going to spend less. And again, that should that should affect the, the bottom line of companies. But you have always taught me um, that the federal funds and what the federal does is more important than who's in political office and so many other things, right? You still believe that yeah. that's, that's the driving yeah, force the Fed, in the market. The Fed's controlled monetary policy, which I uh, think about that as you know, manipulating rates, mm-hmm. lower interest rates, and juice the economy, or raise interest rates like you do now to rein in inflation. Uh, yeah, uh, I teach uh, uh, college finance, as you said, and I put a photo up the first day of class of the chairperson of the Federal Reserve. Right now it's a guy by the name of Jay Powell. Of course, the students don't know who the guy is. (laughs) And I say that this person is the most important person on earth in finance. And the president of the United States, whether it be Trump or Biden or whomever, probably is not even in the top 20. And so, yes, monetary policy has been so important. That's why we're watching it. 
And uh, you're absolutely right. You know, fiscal stimulus, which is controlled by Congress, whereas um, monetary stimulus is controlled by the Fed. You know, the looks like the fiscal stimulus is done, right? All those uh, programs to rescue people from COVID have right. gone down. And so we no longer have that uh, uh, hurricane wind at our backs. And then we're also simultaneously uh, tightening monetary policy. So we no longer have that benefit. It actually becomes a headwind. And so, yeah, two hur- hurricane-force winds that were helping us are now going in the other direction, which is uh, a little bit nerve-wracking. You know, it's interesting because, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation, obviously. They, they were talking about raising taxes. They were talking about doing many things. They really haven't passed anything in the last year. They've only been talking about passing things. So do you think if and, – and again, you and I don't like politics – but do you think if uh, the Republican Party takes over the House and the Senate that that could affect uh, investor sentiment or the markets in any way? Yeah, I think you know Biden, uh, no surprise, you know, has uh, pushed at least a partial reversal of the tax cuts that were enacted under uh, Trump in 2017. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. You know, so many things have been going on: uh, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Syria all kinds of madness with Omicron coming back to haunt us, that uh, all his talk when he first came into office about getting on uh, Congress and lowering taxes, that won't happen. And uh, they'll be pushed off, pushed off, pushed off. And if the Republicans come back in, it won't happen at all. So, um, yeah, I think uh, even though people are kind of given up on the, even the Democratic side of the House, that they'd be able to get these, uh, these tax raises up. I think if the Republicans come in, they'll say, oh, okay, well, now there won't be any uh, tax hike, so we're good. So I think you're right. Uh, those people will feel a bit relieved. Well, here's the thing. I I think uh, as recent as, let's say, two months ago, a lot of people still felt that we could have high single-digit returns in the S&P and equities market. But the NASDAQ itself has, has taken – it's taken it on the chin the last couple of months, has it not? Yeah. Yeah. And again, it wasn't a phenomenon that happened on January 1st. It wasn't that clean. It's actually uh, a couple of days before Thanksgiving is when we had this uh, mm-hmm. break in uh, tech and aggressive growth stocks. But yeah, since then, uh, some of them have been crushed. But uh, even the average you know, tech name since Thanksgiving has been down probably somewhere between 10 and 15%. Uh, thus, the reason I've been, you know, trying to cool my heels and wait for, uh, you know, a brighter day. Um, yeah, I still think we could have a, a decent year in the market. Uh, we just have to get through this transition from uh, monetary and fiscal stimulus to the reverse and all this nervousness. I and mean, it was bound to occur, and it's occurring now, and I just don't know how long it is. But as soon as people adjust, then they'll be safe to get back into the water again. I just think it's probably uh, at least a couple weeks out, maybe a bit longer. I don't think you can uh, necessarily worry about writing off all of 2022. I think 2022 won't be as good as last year. It still might be all right in the end by the time we get to December 31. So if you were to, if you were to guess where technology is going to wind up this year, what would you say? I would say that we're having, having to dig out of a very big hole. Okay. Uh, I think technology will underperform the S&P 500 this year. 
which is saying something because in all the years prior, technology has always been the best sector of the 11. Um, I think technology will have a rebound, not all the stocks, but a uh, select few. I'm trying to figure out who those are. But at this point, I think um, value outperforms growth and uh, other sectors for the first time in a long, long time outperform technology this year. I think technology will come back, um, but climbing out of such a small hole, even though I think it's going to be positive for the year, is not going to allow it to have a big number. Now you're starting uh, too deep in a hole. So what about uh, financial? I mean, if they raise rates, that would be good for bank sectors. Um, are there certain sectors that you think should do well with all the volatility that's going on this year? Yeah, you've already seen it uh, year to date. So, you know, just since January 1st, there's 11 economic sectors that comprise the economy and the market. And there's only two that are up. One is energy and the other is financials. All the other nine are down and tech is down considerably. And so you know, what happens with the financials, not the investment banks, because uh, they're dependent on IPOs and investment banking and such, but your uh, neighborhood bank, you know, the commercial bank, the small bank, not the Wall Street bank, that all they do is take in deposits and lend out money uh, as interest rates rise they should have a greater spread between their cost of borrow and their cost of lend. So yeah, banks could do well, but not the investment banks. Your community bank will do better. And of course, the uh, price of a barrel of oil keeps on rising, rising, rising. And uh, uh, energy killed it last year, and it's killing it so far in 2022. And so, uh, yeah, you know, the big oil, the kind of companies that uh, everybody hates because they're killing the environment. <laughs> They've actually, they've actually been uh, the stars, you know, for about a year now. I, I, I think the only people that hate that sector are the ones who do not have it in their 401ks or their IRAs. I think most consumers are okay with oil going up in energy stocks. As well, for many years, they were the greatest laggard and technology was the greatest winner. Yeah. But that has reversed. And uh, 2021 was very good for energy, and 2022 so far is also very good for energy. You know, some of these companies like Chevron and ExxonMobil, who nobody cared about, uh, have been doing very well. And the nice thing about energy is those stocks typically also have very high dividend yields. That's just kind of the nature of the energy business. Well, you know, that leads me to my next question, because I know that uh, you and Peter Nielsen are working on a different type of style, uh, why don't you talk about what you, you and he are focusing on? I guess you two are, are trying to be uh, contrarians with, with what you're working on. But uh, why don't you talk about uh, the new direction that you and Peter are, are doing as well? Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things I learned as a much younger man, uh, I was managing a ton of tech money, the biggest tech fund on earth back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was great. And then the internet bubble popped and I became the most hated person on planet Earth. <laughs> uh, so I said at that time, you know, uh, I got to be more diversified. Uh, I can't just be all tech all the time. Um, so, uh, you know, I've always tried to develop, at least in recent years, a plan B. That's what Peter and I worked on. And, you know, we're looking for those among the 11 sectors, which ones will be beneficiaries in this era of higher inflation and higher rates, and that gets you to commodities, uh, energy, and financials. 
And then we're also looking for companies that have a dividend yield higher in the market. So they have to have a yield at time of purchase of, you know, think two to 3%. And then of course, you don't buy a stock just to collect the coupon. It's not a bond. You also hope that uh, the price goes up a bit. So yeah, we try to find those, you know, most of them are American companies. Uh, some of them aren't. Uh, and it's really been a paradigm shift with this move from growth to value. So we're trying to capture it and reposition for it. You still feel pretty good about international equities? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that uh, there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, not just the international developed markets, but the emerging markets that underperformed the United States for quite a while. So they were due for a little bit of comeback. Okay. Uh, also, you know, we talked about monetary and fiscal stimulus in other parts of the world. They're not aggressively raising interest rates like we are. You know, they might be a couple years behind us. And so they're still in a era of fiscal and monetary stimulus where, we're, where we are in an era of fiscal and monetary uh, tightening. They should do better, right? Because they still have the assist and we don't. And uh, also the sectors that, that we highlight, uh, they actually play well to some of the strengths of abroad. Right? There's a number of uh, big energy companies abroad. Uh, some financials, some commodities plays, because some of these foreign countries, you know, their economies are driven by commodities. And so uh, they don't have tech like we do. There's no Silicon Valley. But in the areas where the uh, puck is going to, they might be pretty well positioned. Hmm. Interesting. Well, look, even though we all feel interest rates are going higher, bonds are still not that attractive, are they? For those things, no, but interest rates are rising, so bond yields over time will rise, but they're coming from such a low rate that it's still not very attractive. Like today, the yield on the U.S. 10 year Treasury note, which most people think is the benchmark rate, mm -hmm. is still only 2%. Now, it started 2022 at 1.5%, so it's kind of half a percent in a month or so, which is actually a pretty aggressive move, but still, 2% is no big shakes. And so I think what happens is interest rates have to rise a lot more. And then at some point, the coupons that are being paid on your average bond will be uh, much higher and actually more attractive than the dividend payments on stocks at that point. And then you do a switch. But I think the switch into fixed income is still a year or so out. Apparently, yes. Um, so, look, I guess – if things get really bumpy and shaky, because you're right, we don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine. We don't know if there's another variant coming about. I mean, my God, the, the way some of the news portrays it, they never want COVID to go away. But uh, I am hopeful because recently even uh, Dr. Fauci was stating that we're close to stopping all the mandates. So maybe maybe we can look at it in a, in a rearview mirror that we won't have another version of COVID around the corner, which will disrupt jobs and so many things. But we just yeah, don't know. Well, you think about it, uh, what we call flu today, right? Yes. That's a uh, common vernacular. Uh, that was, you know, a pandemic in 1918. Yeah. And then there were variant and variant and variant over all these years. And now it's kind of... Uh, 
uh, dwindled down to, hey, it's the flu and it's November. <laughs> and so to go to CVS and get my flu shot and I'm done. Right. Sooner or later, I think uh, we'll have more and more variants. They'll be more and more diluted. And a couple of years from now, we'll say, hey, it's November. Let's go to CVS and get my COVID shot. And then we'll call it done for the year. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that'll be how it works out. So, so Paul, devil's advocate, what could get in the way of this market? Like, what do you fear could happen that would really shake things up going, you know, in this next, you know, this year and going forward? I think the uh, uh, anxiety around the potential warfare, which would be, really a cold war like we haven't seen since the uh, Reagan era. If, right. uh, you know, the Russians attack uh, the Ukraine and we decide that we have to defend and then even the Chinese get in the mix. That's uh, a three-headed monster. So that worries me. And then the other thing is uh, there is no doubt that inflation is high, right? We see the stats. Yes. Uh, how much of it is based on permanent stuff? So it'll never go back to the old and how much of it is based on just temporary stuff, like when COVID goes away, the supply chain will be unclogged, and then prices for your, like, as you said, the um, used cars will drop. So if I'm wrong, and uh, a lot of this inflation does not go away when COVID goes away, then that would be a risk, right? Because then inflation is permanently high. It does not subside. That would be a big, big risk. But I'm hoping that uh, a lot of it uh, goes away once the supply chain is unclogged. Yes, the supply chain where the truckers can deliver and they're, no, they're not backed up in these shipyards and things like that. Oh, it's um, crazy. I'll give you a, a great example. Um, this is a global stat, not a U.S. stat. Mm -hmm. So last year, the global automobile industry lost well over $200 billion, close to $300 billion in sales, because they couldn't ship cars because they were missing semiconductors. So today, the average sedan goes for about 40 grand. And sometimes uh, a car company loses that sale because they can't get a $1 chip. <laughs> because they can't get those semiconductors from Taiwan or South Korea or China. I remember you were talking about this six months ago. Have they caught yeah. up, or is it still a shortage of that supply? Well, still a, a very bad shortage, and uh, Ford just announced, when they announced their results, which is only the last couple of weeks, that they're going to at least temporarily shut down the production of the F-150, which is their you know moneymaker truck. Sure. Specifically because they still can't get the damn chips. So sooner or later, I think it'll be unclogged and... Uh, that won't be an issue, but you can just see how it's wreaking havoc with these you know, manufacturing companies that need these semiconductors. Well, you know, whenever we get someone like you on the phone, even though you don't have a crystal ball, you're not a genie in a bottle, do you have certain stocks, companies, or sectors that you're really thinking it's good to buy right now for the future? Yeah, yeah even within the technology space, uh, some of the companies I follow have already announced the results, so... It's rear view mirror, right? Okay. Uh, I can now plan because I'm you know, no longer anxious. They finally gave me the news, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And I thought in my sector, Microsoft, uh, Google, which is now called Alphabet, and Apple had uh, really impressive results. And I also, and this gets into my little tidbit about Ford and the F-150, 
I also very much like semiconductors and semiconductor capital equipment companies that provide the equipment to build the semiconductors. Because I do think even though the supply chain will become unclogged, uh, those little chips have become really, really important in our life. And um, I just like the way that industry is positioned going forward. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's great. I know that Independent Solutions just keeps growing and growing. You've got a, a lot of great stars in your lineup and um, lots of good experience. I'm always grateful to, to speak with you. And um, before I let you go, if you have anything you want to announce, either about Independent Solutions yourself or something that people should pay attention to, by all means, let us know. I'll tell you a funny thing that uh, the whole world is looking at us, and I'll tell you uh, why. Uh, I'm going to do an interview in about three hours Okay. Uh, with a uh, television station in Singapore. No kidding. <laughs> so when you uh, see, you know, little old me doing, uh, you know, Asian middle-of-the-night interviews, <laughs> that's telling you that uh, people are uber-worried about tech and what's going on in the United States well beyond our borders. I believe that, yes. we The, the world is watching. We, whoo, we've had... Uh, we have some emotional roller coasters in our country. And again, you and I don't like to get political. Some of our friends do, <laughs> but we don't. Uh, because at the end of the day, I like to focus on what I can control. So no matter what laws they pass or what things that they're doing, I'm going to still uh, remain calm and, and work with my clients and work on the things that I can. But yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me that the world is watching us very closely. In fact, they've probably been watching us very closely, not just the last year, but for the last three, four, five, six years. Oh, yeah. And what will happen is uh, we're going through a tough time. And as always, uh, the market will overreact. Right. Uh, the proverbial throw the baby out with the bathwater and there might be some awesome opportunities because people just sell indiscriminately and say, oh, my goodness. That stock, which is a great company, got down to that level. We got to buy it with both hands. So I think uh, it'll give us uh, a few of those opportunities. Well, well, exactly. So again, if if you're investing for the next five or ten years, I mean, Paul, do people in your position really even trade anymore? Where you buy something for six months to a year? I don't think so. Oh no, no, no. But you still, if you have fresh cash, yeah, and you got to put it to work for the first time, right? Where you're going you know, from zero to 60, at some point you have to uh, plunge in, even if it's for a long term. And I just don't, even with the, those initial investments, I'm just not comfortable to do it these days. Sure. Well, always a pleasure, my friend. Let's reconvene in a couple of months. Good luck uh, in that Singapore interview. <laughs> uh, you're a rock star, Paul, and I'm looking forward to see you in, at the end of April. And... Um, Regina and I, we're, we're still talking about what the theme's going to be music-wise, but uh, we'll, bring your guitar. we'll sneak in rock and roll, okay? No matter what the theme's going to be, okay? There you go. Look forward to it. Always a pleasure, my friend. You take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Paul Meeks, ladies and gentlemen. So, look, uh, most of you out there should have a professional advisor, and, you know, I, I love to speak to people like him that are at this high level and it's always good to diversify. Like Paul even says, there's, there's times when certain sectors are hot, the following year they're not. 
So the key and secret is to uh, have a well-balanced portfolio uh, and, and, and make changes accordingly, not just to the market, but how things can change for you in your life. Uh, my office line is 561-537-5897. That's 561-537-5897. And uh, I think my next podcast guest we're hoping is we're going to have a tax professional talk about uh, some of the changes that are uh, they're talking about doing and, and what you can do uh, for the taxes for 2022 and beyond. As always, thanks for for listening in and make it a great day out there. And thanks for listening to the Denny Artachi Show. We'll see you next time. Thank you.